You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. We live. I went into this season thinking the most interesting conversation to be had regarding the starting lineup was Nick Batum and Malik Monk, and I think that is slowly changing, and maybe not even so slowly. We've only had a few preseason games, and it seems like P.J. Washington possibly being in the starting lineup just might be the most interesting conversation to have regarding regarding that starting five, who is going to be there. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, other things from the Memphis game that saw the Charlotte Hornets get their first preseason victory. They're now one in three in the preseason. They got that victory, 120 points they scored to Memphis's 99. We'll talk a little bit more about that game. And yes, we will talk about the NBA versus China, and now LeBron James versus Daryl Morey with China. Very weird situation you have with LeBron James. Just something he said even before the game, right, Doug? LeBron James had comments before that preseason game and then felt the need to clarify. Was it during the game? Maybe at halftime he felt the need to clarify and tweet something out? No, he clar- He made the clarification shortly after. So it was before the okay. game. There were some questions about, wait a minute, is, is he going to get fined? Because there are NBA rules that dictate when players can tweet, and, and it, it stops, uh, I believe, an, uh, an hour before tip or, or something like that. Yeah, so the timing uh, had a little off, but yeah, it, certainly surrounding the game very close to the beginning and the end there for LeBron James. We'll get to that in the third segment. I believe, Doug, you called it before we came on air here. Was it the uh, the sexy segment, the third sexy segment? I like it. I forget what you said it, but I know that I liked it when I heard it. Uh, sexy segment, sure, yeah. I mean, the third segment is our flex segment. It's where I usually flex my vocal cords and flex It's our sex segment? It's the sexy take segment. I've got, I've, I've got, I'm, I'm passionate about some of these subjects. And the third segment is where I like to let my passion out. By the way, I was talking with, <laughs> with Bobby about you today on air and oh, he was saying, wow. And he was saying, he was saying, yeah, you, Go yeah, on. you were the, uh, you actually let off the show. And it was the, oh. it was the first segment of the wake up call. We were talking about the Charlotte Hornets. We just mentioned that they played last night and it was, he, and not Doug, Bob, my other co-host, Bobby said that Doug Branson was the one person and maybe Rick Bennell here and there that were tweeting about the Hornets in all of this Kyle Allen and Cam Newton conversation that we're getting right now. It was why they should play Kyle Allen. It was why they should play Cam Newton when he's 100% healthy. And then here was Doug ever every once in a while shouting, Terry Rozier's having a good game. What the hell is Malik Monk doing? <laughs> that was, I was and wondering also, why yeah. I wasn't getting much action on there. Not many replies <laughs> until I started tweeting about Miles Plumley hook shots. And, and Bobby seems to be fascinated. This is the second time, by the way, he's asked about you in this way. He misses me. He has me. asked about your long hair. And it's been a couple of months apart. And he's like, I feel like Doug has got really long hair now. I was like, yeah, he's been growing out for a lot, uh, <laughs> for a was, long time. He's got a was lot of lettuce. was on-air discussion? My hair. This was on air. We were having a conversation about your hair and how long it's been since you've really made any kind of cut to it. I mean, you've been letting that thing fly for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, this is a record length. Talk about advanced statistics on my hair. <laughs> oh. This is uh, this is a record Shooting length three for ball? me. Uh, you know, I'm very. <laughs> I've often said I'm just very schizophrenic when it comes to my hair and my beard. Like I just let the beard grow out sometimes, and then I look in the mirror one day and I decide, you know what, I'm done with this thing. <laughs> 
The same thing will probably happen with my hair, although I won't cut it. I'll just go and have it cut when I'm tired of it. And for whatever reason, now see, I did grow my hair out long one other time, but I was in a weird place in my life. It came from a very like, just like (laughs) unsatisfied with my current state of affairs. This is not that though. I'm very kind of. I've had that. I've done the same thing, Doug. I grew out my hair one time, like the unemployment. What am I doing with my life? Kind of haircut. That's what I called mine at least. And it wasn't a haircut. It was just hair grow. Yeah. This is not that. This is comes from a very self-confident place where I just kind of an exploratory place. I just wanted to see what it looked like. Anyway, this is an odd conversation to have on this podcast and certainly on, on ESPN 730. You look sexy. I'll say it. I have no problem with that. Very self-confident. Also, anytime you mention me on air, I I think I should get some kind of compensation. Uh, That's not going to happen. This is Locked on Hornets presented by the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can find Doug in that glorious lettuce on Twitter at Doug Branson, LOH. You can find myself on Twitter, not quite as glorious, at Walker Mail. You can find the show handle at Locked on Hornets. So let's talk about PJ Washington. That's what I want to lead off with today. James Borrego continues to talk glowingly, as Rick Bennell describes. And Rick has talked a lot about this on Twitter now. You know, Rick had a little side conversation. He thinks it's extremely important the way that James Borrego is speaking about PJ Washington. You know, we heard James Borrego discuss a little bit about PJ coming into this year, especially a little, especially about the three ball. He's like, you know, this isn't going to be someone that we kind of try to bring along into shooting the three ball that he's going to come in and shoot it immediately that he's going to, they're going to, of course, really focus on his development, whether it was going to be with the franchise itself in Charlotte or whether it was going to be in Greensboro, you know, it was going to be, you know, maybe a mix of that, that they planned on utilizing Greensboro a little bit more. We had talked about that kind of thing with PJ, but now PJ Washington is playing enough or well enough in the preseason to possibly put himself in the starting lineup. And Doug, I think when we talked about the starting lineup, I think I kind of had it figured out, at least I thought I did, where it would be Terry Rozier certainly starting at the one. It would be Cody Zeller certainly starting at the five. Miles Bridges would be in there. And Dwayne Bacon, I thought, was pretty much going to be in there. I thought it would be Dwayne Bacon three, Miles Bridges four, Cody Zeller five. And then I thought it would be Terry Rozier one, with Malik Monk and Nick Batum having the legitimate battle. Were they going to put the veteran Nick Batum in there to facilitate, or are they going to put Malik Monk in there in the starting lineup because they're young and their number one priority is not to win basketball games this year? Now I think it's the way that they're talking about PJ. It's certainly still Terry Rozier at the one spot, but now with PJ possibly being there, does Dwayne Bacon get moved up to the two with Miles Bridges at the three? P.J. Washington at the four, Cody Zeller at the five. And if P.J. Washington enters the starting lineup, Doug, which you want him to start, you've been on record for saying that the last couple of shows, how does that starting lineup look to you? I think it looks exactly like what we're seeing because I I think so far that starting lineup has clicked. I I don't see anything that... uh, The one they used last night? Yeah, because it it seems like they they like to start with a a little bit of a bigger lineup like that, and then they get smaller as the game dictates itself. I mean, they were playing three-guard lineups with uh, uh, Rozier and Devontae Graham and Dwayne Bacon, and those were successful. But I think you start with that with your best players, and I think right now it's Terry Rozier, it's Dwayne Bacon, it's P.J. Washington. 
Miles Bridges, I, I think, is probably in the shakiest of the starters. Uh, maybe Cody Zeller right in there too, not having great offensive games. But Miles Bridges, I feel like, what is what? I don't think he really has a defined role within the starting lineup. I think PJ Washington has a more defined role so far. Uh, but I, I like that group. I like that group of five. I think they stick with that. I think Nick Batum has lost his starting spot. Uh, the part of that is opportunity, and part of that is just the fact that they said coming in that really Terry Rozier was the only player that we were we were dead sure was going to have a a 30-plus minute starting role on this team and everything else was up in the air because this was a reorganization year because it was all about earned minutes. And I don't think that anyone has earned minutes more than P.J. Washington at this point who has been, let me say it, sneaky athletic. You saw it again, that alley-oop that he had from Rozier running the floor, getting up up high and getting up fast. P.J. Washington, sneaky athletic. Yeah, I think P.J. Washington, I think you're absolutely right, having earned minutes here because Terry Rozier, he probably had the best game of anybody in a Hornet uniform last night. Nine of 15 from the field, four of seven from three, seven rebounds, eight assists. We saw him have nine assists in the preseason debut. So we've seen him actually move the ball pretty well. And I think that was a question mark of Terry Rozier coming into this offense. And Dwayne Bacon had a really good game. This was a good offensive game. You know, 120 points. They shot really well from three. You look at the entire team total. It was 17 of 40, 43% if you round up from three-point land for the Charlotte Hornets. And Dwayne Bacon contributed three of five from long range, seven of 13 from the field. Uh, you saw three rebounds. Also five assists from Dwayne Bacon. One of the more, one of the more uh, startling maybe contributions from Dwayne Bacon last night. That starting five, though, it's very switchy, right? Like, this is what they've been wanting to do. They've they've been wanting to build a versatile team. It's why they drafted a whole bunch of versatile guys and Cody Martin in the second round selection, the first one, and then McDaniels with the 52nd overall pick. This is the kind of problem I think you have when trying to figure out what your starting lineup looks like is you have a bunch of different types of positions that everybody can play. Cody Zeller is going to be the five because he's just the tallest dude and that just fits him as well as anything. But then it's like Miles Bridges, Dwayne Bacon, PJ Washington, you know, they are all, it's, it's a very weird setup for all of them as far as who's going to start. And even you throw in a Marvin Williams, who I, I could see why they'd want a veteran in the starting lineup. I don't think he is, but you know what I'm saying? There's just a lot of versatile pieces that you can fit. And especially with the way that James Borrego has talked about, you know, they, they think he's better at the four, but they're probably going to see and give him minutes at the three. Just weird. How have they talked about miles bridges? And to your point, him kind of being the one that is the uh, the hardest to figure out where he would start and where he would play the most. I think a lot of the issues that this team will have this season will be from younger players not knowing exactly what to do with the basketball or, or alternatively on the defensive end, not knowing exactly where to be. I think P.J. Washington does have that problem on defense as he sort of learns and we've we've there's a, a litany of college coaches that, and NBA coaches that will tell you that there is a drastic difference between how players play defense in college and how they play defense in the NBA because you have to you have to defend everyone in the NBA. Really, you got to defend one or two guys in college. So that's a big adjustment. We'll see if PJ Washington makes that. But his comfort level on the offensive end, to me, is is unquestioned. 
And you, you contrast that with guys like Dwayne Bacon, who looked a little lost offensively in the first half of this game against Memphis. He did have five assists, mainly because he couldn't really get his own offense going. He also, I think, had three turnovers as well, three really bad turnovers. And in the second half, he stopped He stopped moving it to other people because he finally got into a groove with his own offense, got to the line, and, and finally started to knock down three-point shots. But my point is, the problem the problems that this Hornets team will have offensively this year will be players not knowing exactly what to do, not being comfortable out there. And I think P.J. Washington adds to that comfort level on offense, and I think it's why you have to play him. You have to start him. He has an attitude. He has a comfort level that I think that this Hornets team will greatly appreciate as the year continues. This is Locked on Hornets. You give me a new adjective. God, you're just messing this up. I, I, you know, I just I spend this some time away from the show, and you're still the same old Walker. All right, yeah. Give me a new adjective and give me a plural well, noun. I, well, I, I've already thought of my plural noun. Now that you mentioned it, how about? Uh, well, I don't even know if this is plural. How about grape jelly? Does that work? Grape oh jelly is the noun I was going to get. Plural go. noun. This isn't hard. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Doug felt vindicated this weekend when he sent a picture to everyone. I forget what you said, but it was boasting in some type of way when you saw a sign that said jams and jellies. Is that right? And you felt like that was the plural and that you were right in this whole debate all along. Yeah, I sent it out uh, to you and all my locked on Hornets haters out there <laughs> that were saying right. that, the pl- that no one used the plural of jelly, that no one said jellies. I said plenty of people say jellies. I said I've often had an assortment of jellies in my refrigerator. I mean that's a it's a, it's an easy one. And then I see this sign in a uh, in an apple orchard in Saluda, North Carolina, that said jams and jellies, which I think should be the name of a segment on this show. I think we should talk about the good things that happened during a game and call it jams, and then the bad things that happened in a game and call it jellies, jams and jellies, because everyone knows that jams are unquestionably better than jellies no they absolutely are i think jam is better than jelly and uh we can call it i love that segment let's call it jam and jelly i jams, absolutely agree jams with and, jam and jelly yeah jam and jelly no problem we can talk about that let's talk about malik monk this is more of a jelly game for malik monk right for you doug Huge i know that game. you got grape, pretty in frustrated fact, grape jelly game which is the worst of the jellies well I, okay i mean i don't know if we had to go with grape i think grape is a little I mean, grape is great. Like to, to me, that means that he wasn't all that bad. But you think that he was just like, what about apricot jelly? Is it apricot jelly or apricot jelly? Which jelly would you go with that specific fruit? Well, it's apricot jelly and there's nothing okay. wrong with apricot jelly. Grape jelly tastes like a Robitussin. But for me, uh, Monk showed you exactly why he's not ready to get big minutes in this rotation. And he might very well get it because... You know, there's just, especially if Nick Batum is going to be out for, uh, an ex- even though he's day-to-day right now, if he's out for an extended period of time, then expect Monk to get more playing time. Uh, but there was a sequence, it, it was in the second quarter, Monk made another right-handed layup, gets a steal in the passing lane, so showing his offensive versatility, his defensive versatility. This was at the end of the second quarter. Then Monk gives up a Goodrich three on a truly, I mean, I can't express this to you. Go, go. It was the very end of the first half. Go watch the play. Um, 
Monk gives up a truly mind-numbing three. He just starts running away from Guterich. Like, he just takes himself completely out of the play. And it's just one of those plays you look at and you just don't understand what's what's going on up there, that, that he would lose focus like that. And it happened again in the second half. Monk got a block. Then he takes it, the very next play, they, get, they have a run out. He takes an out-of-control layup instead of pulling it out and, and actually running a decent play. Then, after that layup misses, he slow-foots it back, which leads to a rotation and a three because he didn't pick up his man. Then he picks up a foul on a flop uh, on a Dylan Brooks drive. Then he miss, misses a step-back three by a mile. And then he gives up a Brooks three on a weak closeout. I mean, it was just a sequence, uh, 233 to go in the third quarter. Check that out as well. Just these these sequences where I just want to pull my hair out because you see you know, he was doing lefty scoops all over the place, knocked down a few threes in this game. He was showing you that potential that he has offensively, and then whatever the opposite of potential is, he's showing it to you on the defensive end where, where he's just not giving that little bit of – and again, this is like, to me, the last chance for Malik Monk. And and this is just not how a player should play when when they're seemingly on one of their last chances with a team. Yeah, two things. I think one, whatever you do, please don't pull your hair out. It's grown to be very sexy, and I think we're all big fans. Yeah, of plenty it. of I it. I can second, pull a little out. I can I can donate some of this to my frustration towards Malik Monk. I think the second thing is that you're right about this being the last chance really for Malik Monk as far as us buying into him as a Charlotte Hornet long term. I mean, this is someone that this is the year where he has to show something as a former first round pick and just as a former selection of this team anyway. And there are too many mistakes. He put on 20 pounds of muscle. I think you can tell that he is bigger. He's not crazy bigger, but I think you can tell that he is a bigger basketball player. But so much of his defensive instincts have all been, or so much of his defensive problems have always been mental. I remember watching last year, and there'd be so many times where he would just get lost in traffic and not know where his guy is. He would just lose his guy, and that's not him getting moved off his spot. Remember, he came into media day saying that, I feel more physical. I feel like I don't get moved off my spot as more. He talked about the offensive benefits of being bigger. There were just so many other mental lapses from Malik Monk, and that's the thing that you hope gets fixed. That's the thing that you hope got fixed over the offseason, and Again, I think that's why a lot of people wanted him to spend as much time as he possibly could with the coaching staff. I, I It seems like he was in Charlotte quite a bit, but the mental lapses, like I, I'm glad that he gained 20 pounds. It, it can only help him for how thin he was. I mean, he was a string bean out there playing basketball, but the mental lapses on defense, there were just too many times last year that it took him, you know, it, it took him completely out of the play defensively. And you saw that again last night, as you mentioned. Yeah, muscle doesn't help you uh, on a weak closeout. Muscle doesn't help you uh, slow footing it back in transition. I mean, these are you know th- these are just I think inexcusable errors for someone that has been in the league for uh, going on. This will be his third season. I just I just really I cannot comprehend uh, what what's happening with him. And and I think if whatever whatever minutes he he should be contending for a starting spot. Right, I mean, with Nick Matum out with this Achilles injury, he should be the one that is. A, a, you know, I know he had the toe injury as well, but but he should be making his case, and I don't think he made his case last night. Some of the problems that you've had, most of the problems you've had, I, I feel like have been defensively, Doug, and 
as you texted me a little bit last night, you mentioned that you had a problem with Billy Hernan Gomez's defense. And I've been well on record discussing the problems that Billy has on defense. And I think he showed you that again against the Grizzlies. Biombo got four minutes, did have the one field goal in this game, but Billy got 14. And I think, you know, he put up nine shots in 14 minutes. He put up quite a bit of shots in the run that he got seven rebounds, a good rebounding rate. Again, he's always been a good rebounder, but also four turnovers. Just you didn't think that Billy played all that well. Well, I think, you know, the Grizzlies went super small and it allowed the Hornets. It just shows you that if the Hornets have the opportunity to go small, they're going small (laughs) because it means you don't have to play Biombo, who kills you on one end of the floor. It means you don't have to play Billy, who kills you on one end of the floor. They're looking for two-way play and and really – they just don't get that out of their traditional five five players. So you saw uh, you saw Bacon play some four. You saw Marvin play some five. I think you saw PJ play four and five at one point last night. And you know they did they did pretty well. I mean it was against Memphis. It was their f- first action for Memphis against an NBA team uh, this preseason. They had played two international teams before this, uh, and they've got a lot of young players. I mean you saw I think you saw. To me, it said that the Hornets, I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the NBA. I think they can beat a Grizzlies team like this. I think they can beat a Knicks team on a given night. I just I don't think they're the worst team in the NBA. But you saw how they got out uh, in the first, second, and third quarter. It was just miscue after miscue for the Hornets, not knowing exactly what they were doing. And uh, that's, that's going to be a killer against actual competition uh, like they went up against, uh, you know, Philadelphia, a team that can actually play defense. Like Memphis struggled to defend the Hornets all night. They're going to have chances in those games. They're going to have chances in games where teams cannot play defense and allow the Hornets, a bad offensive team, to be somewhat competent. I want to get to Devontae Graham before we head to the third segment. Devontae Graham 25 minutes in this one, six of 10 from the field, four of six from long range, which is something I think we all wanted to see him do better at was hitting the three point shot more consistently. Seven rebounds for Devontae, five assists, only two turnovers. So Devontae Graham seemed in control, seemed to shoot the ball pretty well, even got active on the boards. Devontae Graham with a nice showing in this game against Memphis. Well, Devontae Graham looked like someone who wasn't afraid to make a mistake. He looked out of character in a great way because I think we've grown accustomed to seeing Devontae Graham out there just not trying to make a mistake, trying to make the right play and not playing as free. He wasn't, he was, you know, he wasn't playing jazz out there, but against Memphis, he was playing jazz. I mean, he looked like Kimball Walker, the way he was penetrating and pulling up from mid-range, just kind of toying with, with defenders. And again, it shows you what uh, playing against a bad defensive team, an inexperienced defensive team, can do for some of these players. But Coach James Borrego said after the game that he's been pushing Devontae Graham to get out of his comfort zone. And, that, and it showed itself last night. It showed that uh, Devontae Graham was taking charge, and, he, and, and it always helps knocking down shots. Uh, you know, this team is not uh, – this Hornets team has not played well defensively, by the way, and, and a lot of that is because they have not been able to hit a three to save their lives, and those missed threes often turn into runouts for the other team and easy transition points. And uh, the Hornets knocking down some shots allowed them to defend, and it allowed Devontae Graham to gain some confidence. And he looked like uh, a, a future, you know, significant backup point guard option if, if he continues to grow his confidence in that way. This is Locked On Hornets. 
That is so Stu God's form that you were about to make fun of people for their opinions of people changing their body. And then mid making fun of other people doing that, you said, I will say this, though, mm-hmm. the guy that I think his body changed. That's correct. Yeah, well, little, you're right. But little known fact about me, I have 2040 vision. So oh, okay. um, that me, I'm pretty sure. What, or is it 40, 20 vision? Whatever means that I have great like eagle eye vision. That's Eagle Eye Cherry, by the way. Great underrated band of the 90s. Save tonight. One of my favorite songs. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I'm holding down the fort, Walker, while everyone wants to talk about the Panthers right now and Kyle Allen and Cam Newton and who gives a damn because Kyle Allen is is not a good quarterback. I'm just telling you right now, he's not a good quarterback. Cam Newton is an MVP caliber quarterback. Let's see it. Let's see a Cam Newton who's not lying about injuries, who's actually healthy. Let's see him lead this team, not Kyle Allen. But meanwhile, y'all argue about that. I'm going to talk about the Hornets because there's some special players on this Hornets team. This is not going to be a special team. It's not going to be a special year. It's going to it's going to require, you know, the the buzzword right now for James Borrego is is resilience. It's we're going to see which players are resilient, which players can improve their game while the overall team suffers. Those are the players to keep your eye on. I think Devontae Graham's one of those players. I think PJ Washington's one of those players. We're going to see who's resilient, who's not. I'm holding down the fort talking about the Hornets. I think resilience should be the fifth pillar if you wanted to implement it one more. I think that should be the fifth pillar. Can this team show resilience more and more as the year goes on? There's four Develop pillars. Fifth pillar, and then we'll. And, How dare and you? Then we'll there talk. are four pillars and only four pillars. <laughs> Don't try to add pillars. You can't add pillars. The pillars are already there. Pillars. There's four pillars. <laughs> LeBron James had some comments about the NBA slash China situation going on. And he specifically called out Daryl Morey. He said, quote, I don't want to get into a word or sentence feud, which I find funny. That's that's not being talked about enough, in my opinion. A word or a sentence feud. I think that's funny. Um, what other kind of feuds do you have, Doug? If, if uh, Like a war of words, I guess. Maybe well, that what would have flowed a little feud? bit better. Uh, yeah, what about, I mean, can, a, what about we, can five? We a, what about a five paragraph? Uh, what about an essay feud? What about a uh, novel yeah. feud? A synopsis feud, a chapter feud. What about a chronicle feud? There's a lot of feuds that you could have, uh, and he's willing to have those as long as it's not a word or a sentence feud. I, I hate sentence feuds, man. They're the worst. Anyways, he said, I don't want to get into a word or a sentence feud with Daryl Morey, but I don't believe he was educated on the situation at hand, and he spoke, and so many people could have been harmed, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually, So just be careful what we tweet and what we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be a lot of negative that comes with that, too. The reaction to this on Twitter, at least, which is what we have to measure, seemed like every single thing was everybody at least received this pretty negatively. And then I think we sat on this a little bit more, tried to digest it, think, okay, is there anything that LeBron is saying that I'm missing? It seemed like this was everybody collectively, right? Trying to digest this. Okay, what did he mean by miseducated? Did he mean misinformed? And if that's what he meant, is there something to be said for that? Do we need to hear LeBron James out a little bit more when he says he wasn't educated enough on this? Some people took it the way that Daryl Morey went to Northwestern and LeBron James only graduated from high school, which is the completely wrong direction to go. I was here to try to figure out, okay, what was LeBron James, what did he mean when he meant that Daryl Morey 
was maybe a little bit misinformed on all of this. But I think the more ways you chop this up, Doug, I think the more ways this just becomes more and more negative. I want to get to the tweets after before I get your take on this as well, Doug. Uh, On his tweets afterwards, he said, let me be clear. Let me clear up the confusion. I do not believe there was any consideration for the consequences and ramifications of the tweet. I'm not discussing the substance. Of course, others can talk about that. Sure. My team in this league just went through a difficult week. I think people need to understand what a tweet or statement can do to others. And I believe nobody stopped and considered what would happen. Could have waited a week to send it. Doug, I think Adam Silver looked at Daryl Morey on this tweet and thought, dude, what the hell are you doing? This is something that is going to affect our income. And that's a lot of money for you to be firing off a simple tweet, (laughs) like a simple tweet with not too many words that it's going to affect the amount of income that comes in. But then when LeBron James calls out Daryl Morey for not being educated on the subject, and we know that LeBron James wants to sell shoes in China and absolutely has business in China that affects his income as well, it seems like there's a lot of people that care more about the bottom dollar than other things that are worth caring about a little bit more. Yeah, the more I so the more I read what LeBron is saying here, I think it's clear to me now that LeBron was upset that Daryl Morey was tweeting about the situation while the players were in China, exposing them to opportunities to have to answer questions about this, possibly harming uh, individual players in the NBA as a whole financially. He did mention that in the statement, not only financially, so he is taking the financial aspect of this into consideration. And so, but but what I don't, what I think I don't like about this statement most is calling Maury misinformed on the issue. When he says he wasn't educated on the situation at hand, I take that to mean that he didn't understand that by tweeting this, he was putting the players in an uncomfortable situation. But he also goes on later to call him misinformed about the situation. What I don't like is like, then offer information on the situation. He won't offer information because he doesn't want to discuss the issue on its substance. He only wants to discuss the effect of the tweet. He doesn't want to discuss China. He has business in China. He doesn't want to discuss Hong Kong. He doesn't have business in Hong Kong. But he wants to discuss other issues. He wants to involve himself in social justice issues here in the United States. But he makes business in the United States as well. But the United States won't, the government is not going to uh, impede his ability to make money if he talks about social justice issues here in the United States. That's a great thing about living in the United States. That's a great thing about playing basketball in the United States. But you play basketball over in China, and all of a sudden, it's a different situation because the government is a complete different situation. Uh, what stuns me, too, is he had several days to think about this, Walker. I mean, he had, a, I mean, he had time to sort of, like, was he surprised that he got this question? Because the answer, you, you can feel free to disagree with me, but the answer seemed uh, vague at best, incoherent at worst, I mean, he just kind of talked. Well, you talk about not informed, right? Like, that's the funny thing about all of this is LeBron James. It seemed like gave an uninformed answer here. I mean, if if he's going to and I completely agree with you, if he's going to discuss Daryl Morey being misinformed or if he's going to discuss him not being educated on the subject and not provide any education, not provide any information on all of this. You know, it seemed like you talk about this being vague was the word you used. I completely agree. There's nothing that 
helped us make sense of this. There was nothing that helped us make sense of what LeBron James even meant. Look, the safety issue for those guys being over there, I understand that that might frustrate LeBron James and some of the other players that were playing in China at the time. I understand the safety issue of all of this. I think George Sedano did a great job of illustrating this as far as media is concerned on the Dan Levitard show when he was filling in for Dan Levitard. He discussed, you know, there are people that are saying to Rachel Nichols that are saying to other people over there in China, hey, What's your take on this? And at some point, safety does become an issue. Like, I don't know if I would be firing off tweets against China if I am in China, if I felt like I had some severity of uh, some safety issue there. But to me, there's not a whole lot that LeBron James is mentioning mentioning in that regard. And LeBron doesn't seem to be taking into effect about the, the millions of people in China and in Hong Kong specifically that are affected by this in a negative way. Like he said, they had a really hard week in China. Man, imagine the other people that had a hard week in China and just kind of ignoring that. Yeah, I mean, to me, to to characterize, he characterized the Maury tweet as selfish is is astounding to me. Uh, it, it's only selfish if you are coming at it from the perspective of an NBA player who who has to deal with some uncomfortable questions. But they didn't have to deal with protesters in China. They're, they're, they were received warmly by the Chinese people. So where are the safety issues? It, were the safety issues the people in China? I didn't see any of that. Were, the, were they concerned about the safety because these comments were coming out and they would have to answer questions about those comments and then possibly action by the government of China? I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen issues with NBA players running afoul of the government and the United States having to get involved to get those players released. But that was a kind of a different story because there were some actual sort of criminal actions there. But if they're worried about the safety from the perspective of the Chinese government, then why are they playing games over there? I mean, to me, it speaks to well, the... Well, then su- that falls on the NBA, right? right. I mean, that it, falls it, well, on it the NBA. It speaks to the substance of the issue that LeBron James doesn't want to comment on, that he doesn't feel like he has... The, that he has a responsibility to comment on. And it's the same thing. Kerr didn't feel like he had a responsibility to comment on the situation, which to me, I don't buy that assertion. I think if you're making money in China... If, if you're making lots of money in China as an NBA basketball player or an NBA coach and you're making lots of money in the United States and you feel the need to speak on social justice issues in the United States, then I think it's fair game to ask you questions about what's going on in China. No, I completely agree. All right, thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And you can, again, follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow. We appreciate you joining us once again. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network.